Sacramento Planning and Design Commission hearing. First order of business, uh, some housekeeping. If you have a cell phone, if you could please turn your cell phones off or put them on silent or vibrate, we would greatly appreciate it. Also, if you would like to comment on an item today, there are comment cards in the back of the auditorium. If you could bring those comment cards to the front to the Commission and Secretary, we would appreciate it. And lastly, if you have, are able to speak on that item, you are limited to three minutes on your item. Please be respectful of that time. Thank you very much. Let's start with roll, please. Good evening. So, Commissioner Coville. Commissioner Farrell. Here. Lofaso. Here. Lucian. Here. Hoffman. Here. Lindsay. Here. Here. Luckabom. Here. Rogers. Here. Juan Conley. Here. E. Here. Vice Chair Burke. Present. And Chair Bodipo Memba. Here. We have a quorum. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Gillespie. Let's move on to item number one, the approval of me minutes for the April 27, 2017 hearing. Commissioner LaFosso. I'll move adoption of the minutes. We have a second. Second. We have a motion to move the minutes from Commissioner LaFosso, second from Vice Chair Burke. Can we please do a voice vote? All those in favor of the adoption of the meeting minutes from April the 27, 2017, please say aye. 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 All those who say no, please say no. Commissioner Lucian? Uh, I'd like to abstain on that because I wasn't present. Thank you very much. And I would like to abstain as well with Commissioner Lucian. Commissioner Ogilvie? I'd also like to abstain. Very much. So we have three abstentions from Commissioners Lucian, Ogilvie, and Chair Bodipo Memba. Please get a recordation of that vote. Did it pass? Nine votes. All right. The me minutes have passed. Thank you very much. Item number two, the director's report. Ms. Gillespie, how are you? Thank you. I'm fine, and good evening, commissioners and Chair Bodipo member. So, first up on my report, I'm really excited to tell you that the Planning Division is receiving an an another award. So this is from the Sacramento Valley Chapter of the American Planning Association for the River Yards. So this is for long-range planning effort for the River Yards. I said that wrong. The Rail Yards. <laughs> so um, thanks to the Planning Division staff, particularly Richard Rich and Teresa Hingi for leading our work on that, but also um, Evan and Stacia, who were very involved, and Bruce, um, and uh, the rest of our team, um, other city departments. So the award ceremony will not take place until next January. Thank you. Um, then, uh, for our next meeting, which will be in two weeks from tonight, the items that will come before you are pretty limited right now. Um, we have a lot split and Marjorie Way subdivision map. Um, that evening, Stacia will be 
taking my seat up here and hopefully you'll all get to go home early. So it looks like a short meeting. Um, we do have a request and I believe annually we review your rules of procedure. And so I would like to, would like to put that on the agenda for um, discussion item. Um, I'm not sure if we'll need to act that night or could do that two weeks later. So we still have time to put that in and I'll ask um, our commission secretary to send out the rules for your review. Um, so if we could do that tomorrow, that would be great. And then you'll have some time to look at them. Um, pertinent to that is that there has been interest expressed by the Preservation Commission to have a joint workshop. Um, the subject matter is um, related to the downtown specific plan, which you'll hear later this year. But um, they felt it was time that we talked about procedural issues together. So um, we'll be taking a look at the rules for the Preservation Commission and our rules and thought that it would be good to have a conversation. So we'll be looking for a site and I'll ask Nancy to poll both commissions about availability. So we'll float some dates and you'll see an email on that. So Ms. Gillespie, just to be clear, if yes. such a joint workshop was moved forward, that would be an extra meeting added to the calendar, not adding on, combining an existing meeting. Correct. It would be an extra meeting. Um, I'm open to ideas on that. It's still developing. I wanted to give you a heads up. And uh, another reminder, May 17th next week is the um, Department of General Services meeting on the draft EIR for 1215 O Street State Office Building, which will be a new tower on our skyline. So um, that meeting is going to be at the Sheraton Grand Hotel from 4 to 6.30 if you're interested in attending. Commissioner LaFossa with a question. Question for the director on that last item. Are you ready to discuss publicly that not demolishing the old house is apparently the preferred alternative now? That is the preferred alternative and that is a public information. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner LaFasso. Ms. Gillespie, any other items on the director's report? None for me. Thank you. Any other questions for Ms. Gillespie? Thank you very much. Thanks. We'll move on to the public hearing, starting with item number three, is item P17-006, North 3rd Street Non-Residential Care Facility. Before staff's presentation, are there any disclosures or recusals related to this item? Seeing none, Mr. Abbas, good evening. Good evening. Um, Good evening, Chair Bodipa member and members of the commission. I am Daniel Abbas and the assigned planner for P17006, a proposal. Mr. Abbas, could, could you speak a little louder into the microphone? Or is this better? Okay, thanks. Thank you. So uh, I'm the assigned planner for P17006, a proposal for a non-residential senior care facility at 444 North 3rd Street. Staff has deemed the project non-controversial and requests to waive the presentation. 
Um, there is a response letter from a letter of support from the River District, which is attachment three in the staff report. Uh, both staff and the applicant are available for any questions. Thank you very much, Mr. Abbas. Are there any questions from commissioners? Yes, we do have some, Mr. Abbas. If you please say uh, available. Commissioner LaFosse, followed by Commissioner Ogilvie. Thank you, Mr. Chair. So I really picked up on the fact that it's non-residential, and I read the code, and they distinguish them, although apparently the development standards don't really differ, even though the definitions differ. So non-residential means that whatever care is going on is less than 24 hours, meaning they're not living there, meaning there's a lot more traffic in and out of the facility because people are coming and going at a greater frequency than, say, a residential facility? So you are correct in that it is the difference, the distinguishing factor is 24 hours. Um, this particular project, uh, the clients would be arriving by vans and shuttles, so there's a different dynamic there. And, and do I understand correctly that the only means of ingress and egress are on North 3rd Street in that little corner of the parcel that kind of touches Burkhut? That's not a, that's not a throughway? Did I understand the plans properly? Yeah, so there are three driveways, uh, two on North 3rd Street, and then uh, on the northwest corner on Burkut Drive. Well, I can get out, in and out through Burkut. Yes, yes, you can. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Commissioner LaFosso. Commissioner Ogilvie. I was wondering how many employees there will be at any uh, given day. So currently the expectation is 120. I think that uh, the applicant may be able to um, give you a better a more exact number at this time. My question is in reference to the bike racks, and it looks like there's only going to be two bike racks installed. So, I'm wondering. Uh, there is a requirement for a transportation management plan, and that will help determine uh, the number of uh, bike racks needed. Okay, so that number two isn't firm at this point. The, yeah, the number two um, was for, uh, uh, I believe, a child care uh, facility. Um, and those requirements are, are two. Uh, but again, the requirement will be dictated by the outcome of the transportation management plan. Do you have a sense of the outcome of that or what their expectations will be? The transportation management plan, the, the goal is to have a 35% reduction on trips to the site. And so they can look at a number of different things um, as far as carpooling, offering bus passes, um, and they'll also look at the amount of bike parking that's on the site. So that's all kind of reviewed holistically together as a part of that plan. Thank you, Commissioner Ogilvie. Commissioner Yee? Thank you. Uh, the staff report says or states that there are no more than 250 clients at one time. It also states that the hours are 9 to 3, with increased future attendance, hours may extend to 5 p.m. What can you quantify with increased future attendance? What is that? Is uh, that 150? Is that 200? Is there a threshold for that? Sure. So um, the 250 number would be the uh, future increase uh, number. There is not an expectation for an immediate uh, client total of 250. Okay, so 250 is also the maximum number of clients. So yeah. when it reaches the maximum, that's when hours might get extended. No, the project is conditioned to not exceed 250, so th there would need to be a, a modification to exceed 
Okay, that's you. not quite my question. There's a phrase here that says, with increased future attendance. This is on page six of the staff report, about the one, two, third paragraph down. But there is not a number associated with that phrase. I was wondering what the number is, because it's something less than 250. What, has there been a decision on what the number is that will trigger the increased hours? Um, the hours of operation are fixed in the conditions of approval. I think that he was just noting that in the initial stages of operation, they don't expect to be near 250 clients, but that as a part of their overall expansion plans, we're conditioning that they can't go over 250. And the hours of operation are 8 to 6, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. It's been conditioned that way. If they're operating outside of those hours, whether it be in their initial phases or after their future expansion plans, they would have to come back to us for a modification. I also noticed on conditions of approval the similar hours, but not restriction on days. So will there be clients seven days a week or only on certain days? Um, I think it says Monday through Friday, correct? I might need the applicant to confirm that, but I believe from the staff report it was uh, Monday through Friday. I was looking on the conditions of approval, uh, item B2. So that talks about hours. I didn't see a, I could have missed it, but I didn't see a corresponding date. So. Right. I think that for us, we were more concerned about the hours, not necessarily the days. If they wanted to expand their program and be open on Saturday or Sunday, I don't think that there would really be any impact, so we weren't concerned with that. Okay. So just making sure that it was a deliberate, uh, a conscious decision not to put days on there, and that's fine. Sure. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Yee. Vice Chair Burke. Just real quick, I didn't think about this earlier, but... The shuttle will be picking up people, folks from their house, not from a centralized location where, right, the, the shuttle will take the, the clients to the facility on a daily basis. Yeah, the shuttle would pick up and drop off clients. What's the service area? Is it a 25-mile radius, 5-mile, 15-mile radius? Uh, I think the applicant would be able to answer that question better. The applicant here to? Yeah, the applicant is here for and available for questions. We can have the applicant come up to help answer that question. You say your name? My name is David Padgham. Um, the uh, applicants will come out of um, designated area codes within the greater Sacramento region. They are picked up at their homes in the morning or at a location near their home and then dropped off or brought to the facility. And then uh, at the end of the day, generally about 3.30 to 4, they would be picked up and returned to their home. And just a little amplification on uh, what we were talking about earlier. At present, uh, Sutter Health Pace has two locations which have about 140 participants. The end all over, they've entered into a 15-year lease on the property. And the idea or the hope is to expand possibly to 250 during that point in time. So. Thank you. Thanks. I do have a, another question that could be answered by either staff or the applicant. Um, the fencing 
Conversation, the, the diagrams that you showed in the staff report didn't show any fencing, and it's described that decorative and tubular fencing would be, um, be used. Could you just give me a, a better explanation of what that is compared to the chain link fencing that exists right now? Uh, so I believe, are you talking about a police, the, in the police conditions? Is that one of the, uh, I think there was a, a maybe a preference. Correct. In the police conditions for conditions of approval. okay, um, and yes, existing is the uh, chain link fence with climbing vines. Um, there, there's not a, a requirement for that fence to change. Uh, there's no um, residential adjacent. So, uh, if there were, uh, there would be a requirement for um, a CMU wall. But there, there's actually no requirement to replace the existing fencing, which is the chain link with the climbing vines. So when they say decorative tubular steel, no climb type, the current fencing meets that criteria. The way that the uh, police condition reads, if they were installing new fences or gates, they would have to be decorative tubular steel. But as Danny stated, the existing chain link fence with the vines complies because um, there isn't any, you know, uh, code requirement for a wall or to change the fencing and then just maybe the application so will that chain link fence remain as a part of the design for the new use the applicant or staff part of, right if, now, if you could step to the microphone please so um would you be able to um which area are you looking at because there is an area yeah I'm just trying to understand whether the perimeter fencing would still be in place. I'm trying to get understand the, the visual look of, I have a great idea of what the building would look like. I'm trying to get understand the context. Um, as far as the context goes right now, uh, to the north of the R parcel, uh, there's a chain link fence. Um, and I, I believe there's chain link fence in the back as well, uh, which is to the west. Um, a good portion of that is uh, staying as is. Um, there is an area um, along uh, the north of the building. If you could use uh, the media so oh. folks at home can take a look. Thank you. So that's chain link all around here, and that's chain link, which is all existing. There is a new portion. Uh, a line here with a gate and another line here with the gate and then new fence along here so there's a new enclosure um, that will be built as part of this project which will be uh, tubular steel decorative so any new fence that we're adding will be tubular steel thank you any additional questions from commissioners Seeing none, uh, now would be the opportunity for public comment. I currently have no comment slips on this item. Now would be the opportunity for members of the public, if they haven't written a comment slip, to come forward. Seeing none, move forward with Commissioner motions or comments. Commissioner Farrell. I'd like to make a motion that. <laughs> for staff rec uh, recommendation. Okay, so we have a motion to move staff recommendation from Commissioner Farrell. Do we have a second? A second from Commissioner Juan Conley. 
Additional comments? Seeing none, can we please vote? Commissioner Kip Farrell. Aye. Also. Aye. Lucian. Aye. Hoffman. Aye. Lindsay. Aye. Ogilvy. Aye. Buckabom. Aye. Rogers. Aye. Juan Conley. Aye. E. Aye. Vice Chair Burke. Aye. And Chair Bodipo Memba. Aye. That is. Right. Congratulations. Looking <laughs> forward to item number four, item P17 015, Capital City Canine Service Program. Are there any disclosures or recusals related to this item? Seeing none, Ms. Lim, good evening. Good evening, members of the Planning Commission. I'm Miriam Lim, the assigned planner for project number P17015, also known as the Capital City K9 Service Program. In evaluation of the project, staff has deemed the project to be non-controversial and requests to waive the presentation. After notifications were sent, staff received a phone call from a property owner with general questions about the project. However, no other calls or emails were received. Both the applicants and staff are available for any questions. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Lim. Any questions from commissioners? I see a few. Ms. Lim, there's a few questions. Uh, starting with Commissioner LaFosso, followed by Commissioner Juan Connolly. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, I guess uh, I sort of have two questions. I think the first one's properly appropriately directed to the applicant. Is the applicant here? So, well, I guess I should ask the ask you to state your name and help the chair out. Good afternoon. My name is Chris Piazza. I'm the director of K9 Operations for Capital City K9 and the vice chair. Thank you very much, sir. I guess it's a good sign that you have a K9 with you. Is that a service dog? It it is. It is. That's how I became involved with the business. Excellent. Um, you're helping me with my question. So the staff report says that you all were operating without a conditional use permit for a while. I was wondering if you just wanted to comment on that. Yes, sir. Um, for the last several years, up until last August, uh, we had a different CEO, Kevin Cameron. Um, while Mr. Cameron was there, he was requested to um, get the CUP. But this is, and I should clarify, this is prior to me being employed there. Um, he never did get it. Um, after some controversy, Mr. Cameron was requested to leave, which he did resign. Um, once he resigned, we had to go back through all of our books. We, we realized our new CEO, um, Leah Carter, realized that we do need the CUP, that Mr. Uh, Cameron never did it, and that's when we applied. Okay. No, I appreciate your comment on that. The, the real reason I highlighted the issue, and I'll start back to staff, is so um, liking the applicant coming with the, with the dog that he's training in tow, um, is there anything in the record that causes me to consider that that past history has any bearing on their standards for treatment of animals? 
Um, whether, whether you like dogs or not, um, he's brought a dog here. I don't know if that. Well, I mean, the, I, I'm, 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 the, I'm, I'm the, being the subjectively However, distracted. However, that, that history, that history of discrepancies between their their CEO and former management and getting the CUP CUP or not um, didn't form our recommend basis for recommendation on the CUP. Uh, we we're looking at strictly on a land use basis. That's part of the history, uh, but we did review it on a land use basis. Okay, I always thought COPs were – I understand that we route this to the city's animal control folks, and so some, some professional judgment applicability to appropriate um, uh, operation of a facility housing animals. And I wouldn't construe that's a land use issue because if not treating the animals well, you're creating a risk to the, to the neighbor. So I would construe proper caring of the animals as a land use issue. But I understand we, we – uh, we route this to the animal control people in the city. Is that true? Yes, it was routed. Um, we didn't receive any concerns from them. Okay, I can I can I construe that as a as a as a thumbs up. Okay, that was my question. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Commissioner Lofaso. Commissioner Wong Connolly. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, a question for the staff. Uh, from your email, you mentioned that, uh, uh, Ms. Lim, there is a uh, complaint was received by the code enforcement, and that's what triggered the zoning investigation, and now the project is brought forward. So what was the complaint about? Is that about the noise? or, or um, During my research, I, there wasn't anything that said what the complaint was about. It just said that the complaint was um, received by code enforcement, but there were no other details. Regarding that, I see. So we don't have that. And then also that, uh, um, based on your clarification, the condition, uh, the pro condition has been the project was sent to the police department, and they have no objection and no comments. That's why there's no and uh, no conditions from Correct. the police. I didn't receive anything from police. Um, that is fine, but usually the police condition they include uh, about the uh, two things that usually is. Uh, um, Almost all the time they're there. When is the all dumpster shall be kept locked? That's one. And second is uh, the operator shall be responsible for the daily removal of all litter from the site. Um, I, I did a site visit. They have a quite a big area that uh, all the dumpster there and the, the door was wide open at daytime and uh, different kind of uh, things are laying around. So uh, is there a reason that we do not uh, place these two conditions? for the site? Uh, we, uh, based on our routing and lack of response from police con uh, related to any concerns related to the business, we don't have those conditions on here. Um, regarding the dumpster, I don't know if that's something that's controlled by the property owner or the applicant. Um, we could ask them if they're amenable to um, making sure that's locked. I'm sure they'd be amenable to keeping the site maintenance in a condition free of litter. Um, and debris that like we usually would for a conditional use permit. Yeah. Uh, yes, Commissioner. The, there are several dumpsters there. We have one dumpster that um, our facility or our business uses, which is directly in front of our business. Very close proximity. There's two others. There's a cardboard waste dumpster, a recycled dumpster, and then a waste dumpster. Um, ours is open during the day. At night, it is closed. The refuse that you refers to that was behind, um, a that has actually all been removed by the landlord. We don't know whose that was. There is a wood shop next door, um, but I don't know where that refuse came from, but it was removed about two weeks ago by the landlord of the property. Um, I went to visit, I think, uh, about... 
just a couple of days ago. But regardless, that is out of your control. But you are not object to have the condition of uh, the dumpster that uh, controlled by your property that uh, you can maintain that it's locked and all litter being removed from the site. Yes, we can. Yes, we could do that for our dumpster that that we control. Yes, we can do that. Okay. Um, if that's the case, then uh, I. I would urge the commission to think about the, add this two condition just to make sure that um, we are consistent with all the COP. Thank you, sir. Yes, ma'am. That's the end of my question. Thank, Thank you, you, Commissioner Wong Connolly. Any additional questions from the commissioners? Any none? Thank you. <laughs> oh, sorry. Come here. Now would be time for public comment on this item. I do not have any comment slips. Are there any individuals who would like to comment on item number four? <laughs> I don't believe the dog signed the comment. <laughs> Let's move forward to commissioner motions and or additional comments. Commissioner LaFaso. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I move the staff recommendation with the Wong Connolly conditions. We have a second. second. All right, we have a motion to move Staff recommendation with the condition to ensure that the waste is properly locked. Uh, any additional comments from commissioners? Seeing none, can we please vote? Commissioner Farrell. Aye. LaFaso. Aye. Lucian. Aye. Kaufman. Aye. Lindsay. Aye. Ogilvy? Aye. Buckabam? Aye. Rogers? Aye. Juan Conley? Aye. E? Vice Chair Burke? Aye. And Chair Bodipo Memba? Aye. That is unanimous. Congratulations. Congrats. Moving on to item number five LR 17 002 2035 General Plan. Annual report 2016. Mendoza will be providing the PowerPoint, please. Any disclosures or recusals related to this item from commissioners? Saying none. Good evening, Mr. Mendoza. Good evening, Chair Bodipo, member, and commissioners. I'm Remy Mendoza with the Community Development Department. The implementation program of the general plan includes a measure to conduct an annual report as part of the general plan monitoring and maintenance. The annual report is used to identify trends and gauge the successes and barriers of implementing the plan. This is the second report for the 2035 general plan that was adopted in March of 2015. There are three sources of information for the general plan annual report. The livability index tracks the number of livability indicators such as an employment rate, median household income, city revenue, and affordable housing production. Development activity tracks the number of final and issued permits for residential and non-residential development. Last, we are also reporting on the general plan implementation measures, which track the progress that city departments have made in implementing the general plan's goals and policies. The annual report is guided by six themes shown here on this slide. They include growing smarter, maintaining a vibrant economy, creating a healthy city, living lightly, reducing our carbon footprint, developing a sustainable future, and making great places. 
The first theme is growing smarter. The general plan envisions that most new development will, in the city will occur in infill areas identified as opportunity areas. There are over 70 key opportunity areas in the city, largely located in corridors, centers, and districts with vacant and underutilized land. In October of 2009, the City Council adopted a resolution identifying certain opportunity areas as priority or Tier 1 shovel-ready sites. These are high-priority sites based on near-term potential for development, return on investment, and significant economic growth. City departments use shovel-ready sites as a guide to invest and coordinate available resources to provide critical infrastructure needed to encourage development in these areas. As part of the annual report, we track the amount of development that occurs in shovel-ready sites, which are shown in red and blue on this map. Over the last seven years, 62% of new residential units and 59% of commercial retail and office, as well as industrial development, have occurred in Tier 1 and Tier 2 shovel-ready sites. In the next few slides, I'm going to highlight a few projects that help the city meet its infill goals. Here are uh, several of the infill projects, including 19J mixed-use project at 19th and J Street, uh, the Innovate Corporate Center in Natomas between Arena Boulevard and East Commerce, uh, the Yamani project at 25th and J Street, uh, the Park mixed-use project in Southland Park neighborhood. Uh, additional infill projects include the Copperstone Village across from the Kasumnas River City College and Light Rail Station, uh, the Press Building at 21st and Q Street, as well as Q19 um, at the corner of Q and 19th Street. Uh, planning for development of large infill sites are also part of Growing Smarter. In 2016, the Sacramento Rail Yards project was approved. Uh, supporting a vibrant economy is another guiding theme. The annual report goes into detail about the city's economic performance. Uh, the economy continues to improve and make strides. There are several indicators that are on the uptick, including property taxes, sales tax, and the utility users tax. Unemployment is uh, equivalent to pre-recession levels at this time, and the median household income is uh, rising slightly. While commercial building permits decrease, residential housing development has shown year-over-year -year gains of 400% in 2016, as the graph to the right shows. In support of a vibrant economy, the city is also making development easier through approval of the Phase 2 of the Planning and Development Code to further encourage and streamline development review and recent approval of the new secondary dwelling unit regulations. These new regulations allow for an increase in unit size up to 1,200 square feet, ease the setback requirements for garage conversions, and removes the requirement for separate solid waste containers. The city continues to be a leader in sustainability. Sacramento was recently, recently hailed as the number one green fleet in North America with a fleet that is powered by 50% of alternative fuels. SMUD has also recently opened its fifth electric vehicle fast charging station in the region at the Sacramento Valley Station. Uh, the city has also expanded its river-friendly landscape program, and the city has completed an investment-grade audit of over 40 city buildings. Creating a healthy environment is another theme of this report. In this section, we have included some accomplishments from police, fire, and parks for 2016. Additionally, the Building Division in the Community Development Department was presented with the California Building Officials Building Department of the Year Award. The Fire Department included 58 new firefighters hired, and we continue to have park programming for youth, teens, and seniors. Also on the theme of making great places, in 2016, Enhancing the energy efficiency and sustainability aspects of the Sacramento Valley Station was a priority for the restoration 
and renovation of the building. Outside bike racks and lockers are able to accommodate approximately 140 bicycles, encouraging sustainable choices beyond the station. As part of the Making Great Places theme, the Golden One Center also opened in the fall of 2016 and has since hosted many Kings games, music concerts, UFC fights, NCAA men's basketball tournament games, and many more events. In summary, the annual report recap, um, the economy has rebounded. Development continues to gain stride, but at a new normal. Uh, livability in Sacramento continues to improve, and general, general plan implementation measures are underway by various departments. As part of this staff report, there are also two resolutions that are included. Uh, the first resolution is to initiate the general plan five-year update. Staff recommends that this commission forward a recommendation of approval to the city council. Uh, at a high level, the scope of work for the general plan five-year update will include updating the master environmental impact report, providing additional traffic analysis, incorporating state mandate, incorporating amendments today, and updating the technical background report. The second resolution is a resolution to accept the fiscal year 2017 and 2018 long-range work, long-range planning work plan. Uh, this work plan prioritizes projects that will implement the city's general plan. And with that, I conclude my presentation and uh, we're available to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Mendoza. Uh, we have a number of questions from commissioners on this item, starting with Commissioner Kaufman. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, thank you very much for the update. Couple questions for you. Uh, in prior years, we've seen a community survey. Have you just cut that out? This year, yes. Uh, as part of the next general plan uh, five-year update, a survey will be included. A scientific professional survey will be included. Perfect. That is a great answer. <laughs> I really appreciate you moving in that direction because I know I've, I've been a broken record on that subject. Um, let's talk about outcomes a, a little bit. Um, two that I wanted to focus on. One is what we're actually doing in affordable housing. Uh, we're halfway through our, our eight-year housing element, and we've got 14% of the regional housing needs allocation done. Time for a course correction. I would like to say that um, the, the next item is a housing element update. And, uh, and if we you want to defer it until that, that's fine. I just want to bring it up here because it is a key element in here. And it is important to talk about all the things that are wonderful that are going on. But we've got to be realistic about some things. So, Greg, I rather than repeat myself then, if, if this is going to be addressed during the housing element update, that's fine. Uh, the other outcome I think that's, that's important, not necessarily addressed here, is the issue of how many units we've entitled and how few of them have actually been built. Um, isn't that worth some sort of semi-large headline in an update? Um, isn't there some problem that we need to address here? And that's something we're going to go in detail in the housing element report is uh, some of the, the challenges that we're facing to build new housing. So we'll have that conversation when Greg talks in the next item. On, on both those items? Correct. Okay. Um, okay, well, let's go to some of the detail on the livability index. It is it's disturbing to see that the child care metric that you have, yeah. um, child care centers per thousand is down over 2016. Um, 
What do you think's going on? That's what a very good question. About it? Yeah. I, it's very noticeable, the drastic change and trend downward over the years. I spoke this morning with Dan Anthony Garcia of uh, Child Action, Inc., who uh, provides the data to us. And there are two reasons that he thinks um, are the most likely variables. One being their uh, state has more stringent requirements over the last few years that's making it difficult for some of these small businesses to operate. And then secondly, um, the salaries for family child care providers are just not sufficient to keep them there long enough. They often seek alternative employment, and the reimbursement rate from the state um, often is not sufficient to support some of these small businesses. So those were his two key factors that he attributed to the downward trend in fi family child care providers. So there's nothing whatsoever linked to planning, entitlement, any kind of land use regulation that's contributing to that problem? Uh, he uh, indicated that he certainly would be glad to meet with us and explore that to see if there was any regulations in the city that um, were, uh, you know, prohibiting or affecting these small businesses. Um, but at this time, you know, we see the trend, but we don't have, I think, a, a clear solution to correct that. Um, on the mobility and transportation data in livability index, it also looks like biking, walking as a transportation mode split is is down over the last several years. That just doesn't even make sense to me. Do you have any sense of what's going on there or why that number would be going down as we make every effort imaginable to make the city more walkable and more bikeable? I don't have an explanation as to why that's occurring. We, we, got the, we received the data from SACOG, um, but not a, a clear analysis as to an explanation of why people are making those choices exactly. Um, so I, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. That is certainly worth parsing because we spend a lot of energy thinking about those, those very practical problems and changing the character of, of the central city at the very least. Um, and maybe when you get to the community survey and you start to sort some of these things by age and location, maybe there'll be some more explanation about it. Uh, and the last one is just kind of a throwaway. On the civic engagement metric, I think you need some more metrics. Volunteer hours doesn't capture uh, things that are necessarily relevant to city operations and, and planning department in particular. It would be interesting to see how much public comment there is, how many letters come in, how many outreach meetings you're having, because there's a lot that's going on, and I think that's okay. probably worth capturing. And that's not the only thing that's happening that way with the city departments. So, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Kaufman. Commissioner Pluckabaum, followed by Commissioner LaFosso. Oh, as per usual, stole most of my questions. Um, on the um, civic engagement, what's the source of the data for the volunteer hours? Is that the self-reporting um, site that the city of Sacramento maintains for volunteer hours? Or is there some other source of data for the number of hours volunteered? Yeah, I'm sorry, what was? What's the source of the data for the volunteer hours? What was that? It's not cited. Oh, um, we have a... Um, a contact um, at the city that tracks all of the volunteer hours of a coordinator, and they uh, just provide us the data every year. 
So I'll, I'll just tack on to what Todd said about um, walking and um, bicycling. Um, it's also concerning to me that the uh, vehicle miles traveled continues to, to rise per capita. I know that's not, you, you probably don't have answers to that either in terms of what data did SACOG gave, gave us, but I think that's an, an, an item of interest. And then I note the um, TOT tax is slightly declining. Do, do we have any um, insight as to why that might be? Or is there any potential relationship to uh, increased um, use of Airbnb in the city or with the re relationship to our ability to collect TOT tax? I don't, I don't, I, I don't have a, a reason for that, but that's something we can look into. I did notice there was a slight dip this year. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Pluckabong. Commissioner LaFosso. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Two quick follow-ups before I get to my questions. Number one, so how do I report my volunteer hours? I guarantee no one's counting them. How do you report your... I own volunteer hours. Oh, you just you're... got a couple questions raising questions of exactly how this metric is construed, and I'm just telling you, ain't nobody counting anything I do. Um, I'll, I can find out and follow up on that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Appreciate that. Um, just as a clarifying question, I think it was a great question from Commissioner Pluckabom on the Airbnb reference to the TOT. I thought we apply TOT to Airbnb. Maybe it's an implementation lag, but that is the intention, right? In terms of Airbnb, the... Airbnb is displacing traditional lodging sources, it ought not to be reflected in reduced TOT unless it's a, you know, unless the room rates are going down, so the measure of tax is going down. Just trying to add dimension to that, to what I thought was a very good question on Commissioner Pluckabom's part. But the bottom line is we intend to apply t TOT to, what do we call them, uh, Airbnb, I know we have. Oh, correct. Okay, okay. Uh, moving along, can, can you bring up that housing, that affordable housing slide you had in your presentation? <laughs> it looked a little different than the number I recalled from the housing element, and I pulled out the page from the general plan, and it looked a little different. So I just want to make sure it's the same number. I, and you may have noticed, I believe the number did change in the last week. Um, I think we have 64. Uh, are you referring to the chart here? No, okay, it's the same, 1577. some reason, I thought it. Oh, at the total, 1577? It's the same number. Yeah, it's the same number. It should be the same number, yeah. Okay. So we had this good discussion about infill versus uh, the outer rim at the last meeting we had. And I kind of noticed that the two... Um, the two matters we spent a lot of time on our last meeting are tier two shovel-ready areas. Um, the, 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 the sort of the follow-up discussion we had after the last meeting was, how does this impact our infill commitment if we're, you know, emphasizing developing um, on the outer edge of the city? And so we got those two areas are tier two uh, shovel-ready areas. Any comment? Well, uh, looking at the report, I believe there is um, still quite a bit of development occurring in Tier 1 sites. I think it's over 50% for both residential and commercial. Um, so, the, you know, we're still seeing a lot of infill development in these key opportunity areas, although some development does still occur um, outside of the opportunity areas, but, you know, certainly within the city. Okay. We also had an interesting discussion about annexations, and I noticed uh, – in also in the northwest of the city, there's another tier two shovel-ready area just north of Interstate 80 
just north of the Roca area that is not incorporated in Sacramento? Actually, didn't notice that before. Was oh, that the uh, Greenbrier site? No, no. No, it's actually it's south of Greenbrier. It's uh, it's a special study area. It was there was a development proposal when this map was created, and we thought it was imminent. It would be incorporated into the city. The applicant, the application went away, but the designation stayed. Interesting. So yeah. we're still returning their calls. We haven't heard from them. Okay. Would we return their calls if they called? We would. Okay. Thank you for that clarification. Um. I'm geared up on the housing element, so I'll uh, defer to that one. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner LaFosso. Commissioner Ogilvie. Just a few questions. Um, I believe it was in the implementation strategies. There was a option to include some element around parking shading that was explored but not implemented. Oh, um, what page what, of the report is that? Can't write that down. Um. Your question was in response to the comment from um, our urban forestry staff. Maybe. I have sparse notes and I just wrote that a parking shading option was explored but not implemented. Um, anyways, we can move on. I should have written down the page number. Um, I'm just wondering, so what kind of multi-agency coordination or discussions does the planning department have when thinking of things like stormwater management or traffic and parking, I mean, and police and fire? Just when you think about, like, the future and sustainability and sustainable urban design strategies that the planning department might be more familiar with or accustomed to, but then when, you know, projects get presented to these other agencies, maybe there's, they have a different approach to similar problems. Is there buy-in with this general plan across city departments, or is this something that just the planning department and council kind of push forward? So, uh each department helps us prepare the general plan, and they, they also weigh in on the implementation measures and participate in implementing the general plan. So there's input from police, fire, Department of Utilities, parks. I'm, I'm, not, maybe I'm not understanding your question. Well, I don't know. I just know in my own practice I've come across, you know, we're trying to propose something, working with the planning department, some stormwater retention, let's say, in the public right away. And, you know, we've come across issues in an agency that maybe says, oh, no, that's not possible. And, you know, in general plan, you're promoting kind of sustainable stormwater management strategies, alternative approaches, but then. So those, those measures aren't uh, necessarily created by planning. They were created in concert with those different departments. So they're certainly on board with the, those sustainability practices. Uh, as is the Department of Public Works, who is now looking at vehicle miles traveled versus level of service, uh, uh, complete streets policies, and so on. Uh, there, I, I think every department is on board with policies in this document. If they weren't, they wouldn't be in here. Um, and then I guess, you know, there was talk about 
sort of future flexibility, waste to energy programs and future car share programs, I think it would be interesting for the city to kind of explore how we can start planning for those spaces now, even if they're not implemented, you know, if there's residential or commercial compost programs that we anticipate in the future, maybe now when we're approving larger projects, we should say, okay, you need to set aside X number of square feet for future compost and just kind of ready for changes that we aren't doing now but anticipate in the future. I guess this will be addressed in the housing element as well, but um, I also noticed that the poverty level seems to be on the rise in the last year, and I imagine it's probably tied to housing costs and the fact that no low affordable housing units have been added in the last couple of years. And Thank you, Commissioner Ogilvie. Vice Chair Burke. Can I point something? I'm sorry to interrupt, but I wanted to point out that uh, uh, there's an item in this packet, a resolution to uh, provide some direction to the council to give us direction to implement or initiate the 2040 general plan. You're bringing up some good points about uh, what indicators we should be looking at and what policies we should consider recognizing changes in technology and so on, changes in the economy. Uh, we'll be back to the Planning Commission this summer for a workshop to talk about what's working and not working in the general plan. And, and what we might want to take a look at when we start the general plan update in uh, 2018. So this is good feedback, and we'll be back again to to ramp up recognizing. That's why we come here to uh, to get your feedback on the general plan, how we're doing implementing it, but also how do we uh, craft the next document to recognize uh, those changes. And just commissioners, again, we're we're asking questions. We still haven't had public comment on this item, uh, Commissioner or Vice Chair Burke. Thank you, Mr. Chair, and thank you, staff, uh, for the comprehensive report. Um, I definitely like the, the mention of secondary uh, dwelling units, ADUs, and how we really uh, updated from SB uh, 1069. I think Sacramento could lead the way on that. Um, one thing on the the police department crime uh, chart in our, in our report, it talked about yes. violent crime and, and property crimes. Mm -hmm. Interesting to know as an indicator of hate crimes. I know that's reported to the FBI annually, but I wonder from just as we talk about poverty and income and housing and all these other things, I wonder if that's somehow correlated. So just an interesting metric to track over time in the annual report of hate crimes could be a subcategory as well. Thank you, Vice Chair Burke. Any additional questions from commissioners? Commissioner Ogilvie. Just to follow up on the parking shading, it's on page 44 of the... Five E. Michelle, could you just restate your question as related to the sh the, uh, the shading? Oh, I was just wondering why they explored um, options to improve parking lot shading, but it's not being implemented. Is uh, is there a number associated with that that you could give me? Nineteen. Five E. Five E. Oh, uh, so the 2016 update says that um, that's been completed. So are, are there, I guess my question is, are there new requirements for parking lot shading? Because it just says explore options, but I don't know what the options are or what the result was. 
I can uh, is, is speak with urban forestry and see how they've met this uh, implementation program and follow up. Thank you, Commissioner Ogilvie. Commissioner LaFossa. Thank you, Mr. Chair. One question since I uh, didn't fully internalize the initiation of 2040, as Mr. McDonald mentioned, but quick, I'm just, I mean, I read all those initiatives and I don't read them as carefully as I used to because I feel like I'm reading the same thing I read last year, but that parking shading, I know we, I don't know what the time frame for that is, but I mean, obviously we have a lot more requirements for shade and parking lots than we did, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. I'm just, I mean, I think Commissioner Over's question is like, what, what new did we do in a recent time horizon, or is that just an old thing that references something that we did five or six years ago that's been well incorporated into our design standards and we deal with every day and it's not, you know, new in our experience? Anyway, that's, that's just what I'm hearing when I heard that, that, that exchange. But the real reason I punched up was so, um, um, we are the uh, forward-thinking city on self-driving cars. And we've had some interesting discussions, and they've occurred elsewhere in the city about, you know, what that means to the utilization of the space we have for driving and parking. And I'll ask you if there's anything in this about that, but if we're in the making suggestions for 2040, that's definitely something to look at for 2040. Good idea. Uh, no, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you very much. Do you have a few questions before um, we get to public comment? Um, I just want to echo the questions that Commissioner Kaufman um, brought up related to housing, so I will, again, wait for the housing element discussion to get fully into those. But I just had a couple of just general questions. The difference between the infill development um, evaluation statistic versus the uh, center city development, uh, I'm assuming the infill applies to not just the center city, but to the entire uh, infill projects throughout the entire city of Sacramento, correct? It, the entire city of Sacramento, but we have um, infill sites that we've identified as part of our uh, shovel-ready sites program. Right. Um, can pull up the map. No, fully. I, no need for that. I just, I just want to make sure that I was comparing the right. There were the red and blue areas on the map. Right. Uh, in terms of just the new housing units downtown, um, saw some some trending uh, that seemed to be decreasing. Um, any reasons behind that? The numbers will be much higher next year. There's uh, certain projects, such as the Viva project that received a certificate of occupancy, 118 units downtown, uh, but it didn't get its final permit until like January 7th of 2017. Um, there's just sort of a, a lagging um, uh, time from when uh, the projects are entitled to when they're built, and there was a couple of slow years there in the past where there was not a lot of projects um, in the downtown area that were being entitled. Um, but in the next year, we anticipate a significant increase in that number. But I, but I want to dive in a little further. I mean, if you're looking at the economic trends and then looking at the number of units that are developed, there's not necessarily a correlation in terms of where we are performing economically as a city versus the number of units. It, it, the number seems to be drastically down. Are there some systematic issues as to why that's happening besides the lag that you discussed that in my discussion with um, the senior planner for, down to, for the central city area, um, they think it was just a few slow years in the past. 
um, where there just wasn't a lot of projects that uh, were ready to be uh, finaled for 2016. But given the um, recent entitlements and uh, development uh, permits that were finaled early in 2017, we think that that trend is going to go upward. So I, I think, th I think the, uh, Ms. Gillespie wants to answer that as well. Thank you, Chairman Bodipo member. So we have been conducting an analysis, um, and this is due to the fact that the City Council is going to hold a meeting June 20th and look at how we can jumpstart housing and what has gone wrong with the ones that have been entitled will be part of that discussion. So we are conducting an analysis right now of the projects that have been entitled. Staff has been assembling information on which have building permits, which have not applied for building permits, which are under construction, which are, have units now for sale or, or lease on the market, and what's fully occupied. And so right now, I, um, staff is still compiling it, but it looks like about 30% of those that have been entitled in the last four years do not have building permits yet. Another third have been entitled and have building permits, and then the rest are either um, under construction or have been completed and are being sold or leased. So I'll have more accurate information in about a week and uh, can report back to you. Thank you, Ms. Gillespie. Very helpful information. Uh, additionally, uh, going back to the shovel-ready proje projects, again, it looks as if the shovel-ready residential numbers are, are going to be moving up and trending up. But I noticed that the shovel-ready non-residential numbers dropped fairly significantly. Can you give us maybe just a little bit of background behind that as to why that's occurring? Just, just some context. Yeah, um, I don't have a reason exactly as to why that happened, but that's something we can look into okay. to see if we can see a, a pattern there. And then the equity discussion, um, the metrics for for the equity analysis in, in the report, is, is that a standard set of metrics that was developed by the city of Sacramento? Um, if, if you don't have the answer now, that's fine, but I just want to get an understanding of, of how we chose those metrics, the high school dropout information, the free lunch. For, uh, for this livability index? Correct. Um, as part of the 2030 general plan, I believe, uh, those metrics were developed uh, by planning staff and uh, from, with support from our council. All right. So we would be able, to, as part of recommendations, to look to, to, to enhance those, correct? That could be a recommendation. Mm -hmm. Certainly. And then similarly with housing diversity. Okay. Um, those are all my questions at this moment, but there's a few other questions from commissioners. Commissioner Kaufman and Commissioner LaFosso. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I pushed the button. I'm, I'm, oh, my apologies. Commissioner LaFosso. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I'll... I'll uh... I won't belabor this, but a couple quick comments, quick question. Mr. Mendoza, when we talk about certificates of occupancy and permits, I thought I thought permits were what you get before you construct. So if they're permitted, we might see sticks and frames on the ground, but certificates of occupancy don't come until the you know buildings are 
are, are finished. So p permits mean nothing's built yet or things are starting to be built. Can you explain the difference between permits sure. and certificates? Uh, so, so there's one more. Is that, so there's a permit that are issued to allow the construction. Certificate of occupancy sometimes allows you to go in prior to the final permit, which is the, the final step. And when we tracked the number of uh, units that were constructed in 2016, we looked at final permits versus um, issued permits that may still be under construction or planned to be built over the next couple, couple or uh, three years. What's that permit called? The uh, certificate of occupancy. The, the no. last one that you're using. Oh, is there's the issued, and then there's final permits. Oh, so you pull a permit to build, you build, you get a certificate of occupancy, and then you get a final permit. Once everything signed off and uh, the permitting inspection is complete, correct? Oh, okay. oh, so inspection comes after certificate of occupancy. In some cases, I think when things are 99% done, they can allow a CFO, okay. um, which was the case with the Aviva project. I just got a jump in and clarify. So you have issuance where you basically get the go-ahead to start construction. Final is when you get your final inspection. Single-family homes don't need certificate of occupancy. It's mm. for commercial and multifamily development. So that is a C, that the CFO is basically when you're all done it and they can move in. So really, when we're looking at building permits just across the board, universal, whether you're single-family home or you're a skyscraper, the key stages are issuance when you can start construction and final when the final inspection is. So certificate of occupancy is a bit of a distraction because it doesn't apply to all types of housing we're talking about. Correct. Thank you. Appreciate that. Not, I'll just throw something out there on Commissioner, excuse me, Chair Bodipo's last question. I got the sense that there was a lag on commercial development and a lot of surplus commercial spaces, and that might answer why um, that, that data point looks like it does. I mean, we even had a grand futurist at a League of Cities conference a couple of weeks ago predicting we should, you know, tear down commercial sites and start building housing on them, and that was sort of the overwrought futuristic notion about residential versus commercial. But anyway, I'm over-elaborating. Um, lastly, we'll get to this in housing element. I'm, I guess we'll see the data you referenced, Ms. Gillespie, but you said a third, a third, a third, and I know there are 14,000 entitled units in the central city, some of which will never get built, like the socket tower hole in the ground. So when somebody says third, 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 I mean, I, I know we, we know lots of stuff gets entitled and it never gets built, and it's never going to be built. So I don't know, maybe maybe when that comes out, we'll get a better handle of what the universe of a third, a third, a third of what. It ain't the 14,000. I know that much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner LaFaso. Commissioner Ogilvy. Um, just thinking about the livability index and question that came up, you know, around diversity and equity. I think it would be interesting, not maybe for this report and maybe it's happening in tandem, but to look at diversity and equity as it relates to land use and environmental justice or injustice issues and see which neighborhoods and which populations are suffering the most from limited access to affordable housing or air quality issues, living too close to the freeway, not having, you know, not accessible to parks or public transportation or healthy food options. I mean, I would think that something like that would be in a report like this. 
to kind of understand what livability means for everybody and you know our different populations here and and where that's dispersed if you look at the um, second page of the attachment to the last resolution in the staff report uh, directing us to work on the 2040 general plan update there are uh, state mandates and, and one of the state mandates is to adopt an element or policies that address social equity environmental justice and community resilience um, we also have to adopt a, or will be required to look at uh, annexation of disadvantaged communities and so on and so I, I think the world has changed since we adopted the 2030 general plan and the 2035 general plan so that's certainly something we need to start looking at the, in the next All right, you said that has to be implemented in the 2040 plan correct a long time away I mean I imagine well, no it starts in January of oh gotcha gotcha okay yeah. uh, 2040 is the horizon Thank you, Commissioner Ogilvie. We have no other comments from commissioners. Thank you, staff. I'll be the opportunity for public comment on this item. I do not have any comment slips. Mr. Heron? Oh, I, I was just trying to follow up on uh, Commissioner Ogilvie's question about um, implementation measures and uh, the shading requirements. And I think part of the issue is uh, reading these charts. If you go to page 43 of the report, I might be wrong on this and staff can clarify. It talks about the implementation measures for land use and urban design. And you'll see a number five there that talks about as part of the planning and development code update, which we've gone through and we've refined it even more recently, and individual project review, the city's going to implement the measures that are talked about in 5A through K. That includes 5E, and I do know that we have new tree shading requirements that you adopted in Title 17 for parking lots. So I think that I think when they say completed for that, that's what they're talking about. Probably that, to the extent that this was an exploration directive, they did that, and they have tree shading requirements baked into the code now. I think that's what they meant by completed. Thank you, Mr. Hare. And I, this will be the last opportunity from someone from the public to comment on this item. Seeing none, have the opportunity for commissioner comments and or motions. Commissioner LaFosso. One quick comment and I'll move what we're supposed to move. And the chair, Mr. Heron, will say whatever it is. So just apropos to that last answer, what's the time horizon and the list of stuff that we have in these reports? I mean. How many years after something's completed does it get? Does it stay on those tables? I don't know, but maybe Mr. Heron suggested something we did in the 2013 plan update. You know, something we did five years ago. How long does it? How long does it stay on the table? Is it, how long does an implementation program stay in the general plan? How long does it stay on the table? Well, this is a general plan update, right? General plan report. Yes. So, so we we have do, do we do we keep this table populated with things that we did four or five years ago? Um, well, the general plan was updated in 2015, so anything that was completed uh, before then has been removed. Um, and we start with the fresh table of implementation programs, um, and those will remain in the general plan until the next general plan update. So uh, in 2020, we anticipate adoption of a new general plan. Okay, so it's the, the start date, the horizon, as it were, has a start date that's the beginning of the last refresh. Correct. Oh, great, thank you. So I will move the staff recommendation. All right. 
So I have a motion to move staff's recommendation uh, for approval to City Council by Commissioner LaFosso, a second from Commissioner Kaufman. Are there any other comments? Again, this is uh, reviewing comment portion is important as a part of this item. Seeing none, again, I, I just would, would, would ask as we move this motion forward before we take a vote uh, that we take a close look at some of the information, uh, some of the metrics that are being used to evaluate the criteria for livability um, and, and make sure that's clearly explained so that City Council has the ability to, to make uh, an informed decision uh, on this item. Seeing no other comments from commissioners, can we please vote? Commissioner Farrell. Aye. LaFasso. Aye. Lucian. Aye. Kaufman. Aye. Lindsay. Aye. Ogilvy. Aye. Buckabom. Aye. Rogers. Aye. Juan Conley. Aye. Me. Aye. Vice Chair Burke? Aye. And Chair Bodipo Mimba? Aye. That is unanimous. Thank you. Thank you, staff, for all your hard work. I'd like to go ahead and ask that we take a quick five minute break and we'll return for item number six the housing element.
Ladies and gentlemen, we will begin in approximately one minute. Thank you. Resuming the May 11th Planning and Design Commission hearing, uh, we'll restart with item number six, LR 17 003, 2016 Housing Element and Report. Before we get started, uh, our planning director, Ms. Gillespie, would like to say a few words. I'll keep it short. During our last meeting, um, the commission asked if representatives of SHRA could attend our next meeting. And they've had a tough week this night, this week with nighting, ugh, meetings every night. So I want to thank them for responding to your request. Thank you, Ms. Gillespie, and thank you for attending the meeting. Before we move forward with the presentation from Mr. Gonzalez, are there any disclosures or recusals related to this item? Good evening, Mr. Gonzalez. Welcome. Thank you. Good evening, Chair Bodipo Memba and members of the Commission. My name is Marco Gonzalez. I'm a planner with Community Development. Uh, today I'll be presenting on the 2016 Housing Element Annual Report. We'll keep it short. I know you guys probably don't have many questions on this item. So uh, <laughs> this, is my, this is my second year presenting this. Um, so the good news is that things are looking up. But the not-so-great news, as Commissioner Kaufman pointed out, is that we're, we're still pretty far off from where we want to be, from where our growth projections um, in the general plan were. Um, so today I'm going to touch on a few things. I'm going to give you some background on the housing element. Um, then we'll talk about the 2016 report, and we'll talk about some program highlights, and then I'll uh, cap it off with some trends and challenges. Um, so the 2013 through 2021 housing element was adopted in 2013. And so now the cycles are every eight years instead of every five. Um, it acts as the city's strategic housing plan and it reflects the general plan's sustainable vision for growth by 2035. Um, through the housing element, the city is tasked with doing a few things. We're tasked with increasing the housing stock and assisting with the development of affordable housing for households of all income levels. So why do we do the annual report? Um, under state law, the city is required um, to prepare an annual report detailing progress made towards housing element goals. Um, and the report details progress towards the regional housing needs allocation, or RENA, and um, status of implementation programs. So the city of Sacramento was assigned its share of the RENA by SACOG. Um, for the 2013 to, to, for the 2013 through 2021 housing element cycle, under the housing element, the city was tasked with identifying sufficient sites with sufficient zoning to accommodate over 24,000 units by 2021. To be clear, the city doesn't have to build those units; um, it just has to 
provide capacity and implementation programs to facilitate development. Um, the city has completed 14% of its RENA through four years. Uh, so next we'll talk about some program highlights for 2016. Uh, major program highlights include the adoption of the fee deferral ordinance, um, which helps developers save upfront costs and encourage more housing development. Uh, funding the rehabilitation of Pension K, that's 127 affordable units. Um, updating the housing trust fund ordinance to streamline implementation of the fee and make calculation of the fee more predictable for developers. So continuing on the program highlights, we have the update of the SRO hotel ordinance, and this uh, allows us to have more flexibility to replace, preserve, and rehab these um, units, which are housing of last resort. And then we have rapid rehousing of 244 households and emergency, assisting 355 persons with emergency shelter assistance. So next I'm going to talk about some trends and challenges that we've seen um, this year and over the last few years. So statewide, low housing inventory due to lack of new construction has resulted in a few things. Um, it's, we've seen increasing housing prices and increasing, increasing rents. In Sacramento, builders are facing rising construction costs and financing limitations due to competition with the Bay Area. Also, we have seen a decrease in housing subsidies to build affordable housing, and this includes the elimination of um, redevelopment. So according to data from CoreLogic published by the Sacramento Bee, average home sale prices in the county are climbing. In February of 2017, the average price was up to $310,000, which just simply isn't affordable for low-income and even some moderate-income households. So we're also seeing increasing um, rents throughout the county and decreasing vacancy rates. And this really indicates that there's pent-up demand for additional housing. So last year when I presented this slide, things looked pretty bleak. It, pretty bleak. it looked like we were flatlining, basically. Um, and in 2016, we really saw an uptick of over 1,000 units um, constructed. And in comparison from 2009 to 2015, the average was about 228 units constructed. So although the housing market has been trending upwards, overall housing production just isn't keeping up with increasing demand and population. So I'll finish up with a few um, last trends and challenges. Consistent with the 2035 general plan and SACOG's community, sustainable community strategy, the city has put an emphasis on infill and compact development. However, infill can be challenging, it, it can be more expensive, um, so the city is looking at ways of reducing costs and increasing certainty um, to really get that type of development. So a perfect example of this is a downtown-specific plan. Um, and we're including opportunity sites, infrastructure analysis, um, infrastructure financing plan, and sequestering streamlining, all to encourage infill development. This concludes my presentation. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Gonzalez. Do you have any questions for staff at this moment? Mr. LaFosso. Thank you, Mr. Thank you, Mr. Chair. We'll start with an easy one, Mr. Gonzalez. Thank you. Nice job on the graphics. You got a 800K in there, which we only did last week. <laughs> I'm that good. Thank you. Um, 
So I've been burning of interest with the way we do those mixed income housing strategies and uh, really happy that SHRA is here and really thinking that one of the questions I want to ask, which is that conversion number used to translate fee into units, and I know they'll come up at some point. But before that, um, something I encountered recently I wanted to ask you about. Um, we're a charter city. I went to this conference, and they were showing all these numbers from cities, and they had a big zero for Sacramento. And they said, well, Sacramento's a charter city, and charter cities don't have to report to HCD. And then they had a slide a couple slides later that showed Berkeley, and A, Berkeley's a charter city, and B, their table was exactly like our table. I thought, I've seen a table like that. It just says Sacramento. We, we report all this stuff to HCD, right? We do. We do. Is that voluntary, or is that because notwithstanding our being a charter city, we have to do it? Um, I don't know if our charter city status protects us from having to provide a housing online report. I doubt it. Okay. Um, it's not that important. I just right. We can be sued. Someone can take us to court and demand that we file the, the housing online report. But um, more importantly, there's often um, parents for filing your annual report. So we have the housing related parks program, the most recent carrot where you get a grant for um, parks facilities, funding for parks facilities based off of your affordable housing production. So um, we've gotten a couple million dollars in grants over the years or more um, just by showing our, our production. So, but one of the requirements is, is you have to have your housing element and report filed um, on record in order to submit a grant application. Okay, appreciate that. And um, they are burning the midnight oil down the street under the dome, talking about a housing accountability, housing element law, and it's confounding for everybody, but everybody over there says that the big problem with the housing element is you just have to zone land and you don't have to build units. And then I read our element and I see it's showing that we're building units. How, not ask you to be an instant expert on housing element law. We'll give you a couple years for that. But are we, are we reporting above and beyond what HCD wants us to by reporting the units we're building above and beyond the areas we're zoning? How, how do I reconcile what we report with what they're talking about down the street? Well, we, we're required to report just citywide what we, what we have uh, issued for building permits. So it's by building permit issuance and they want us they want to to break it up by um, units that are affordable to low, moderate, um, very low income and above moderate. So we do that and um, I think the assumption in the capital there that um, if we just change the zoning and provide land we'll get the housing. We've done that. We also have updated our planning and development code um, I think we're one of the easiest cities in California to get housing approved. Um, and we thought that, you know, coming in the recession, that was going to, that's going to be it. We're just going to have a tremendous amount of housing, but it's, it's certainly more than just getting projects entitled and approved. It's, we, it takes a market to build the lion's share of these units that are in the arena. No, I, I understand. And I didn't mean to shoehorn entire version of the debate you know over there I, I think really what they think is that if you streamline your appeals process you reduce the cost side and you'll 
hit a you'll hit the you'll hit the point in the market of something that you can sell at a price that people who can afford that you can build at the price that you can sell it for. But again, we're far afield. Um, um, you know, I didn't realize it would come in a report here. Can you elaborate a little bit on that SRO ordinance? I, I must confess I've read about it in the newspaper, but I don't really understand what we're doing. I'd like to call SHRA up if you guys can handle that one. Oh, good. You got them up for me. Thank you. <laughs> And let me say, I really appreciate you being here. Oh, sure. Thank you. No, no problem. Christine Weikert with Sacramento Housing Redevelopment Agency. So the SRO um, ordinance, um, the, the last time it was updated was in 2006. And at that, in that ordinance, there were, it's been a while since we updated, but I think there were 10 single-room occupancy hotels, as, um, as you know, that um, consisted of 712 units. And basically, at that time, the city council said that none of those 712 units could um, be converted to any other use, so commercial or office, um, without those units being um, replaced. And so if you were an owner of a, a hotel and wanted to sell your property, you had to make sure that either you paid for the construction of new units or SHRA did. Now, we did build 7th and H, uh, which was 150 units that we were able to use as replacements. And, and um, like the Marshall, if you remember the Marshall, was able to be removed from that housing stock and it's going to be a hotel. But it got increasingly more difficult to um, find replacement units. And, and we realized we were producing more um, than just sort of the 7th and H. All, since 2006, um, with the help of especially the, the city and SHRA, we'd produced quite a few units that met that um, criteria for SRO, whether they be, you know, efficiency or studio apartments. So what we did with the ordinance change um, the council approved was to count all those units that had been produced since uh, 2006. And I think we had an, an extra... 50 more units that we were able to add to the stock. In addition, a lot of those SROs have been uh, rehabbed and regulated for 55 years, so they are affordable housing. So it didn't really make sense to keep counting those in the SROs. They couldn't be replaced. They, I mean, couldn't be removed because they can't be removed for other reasons. So um, in the end, um, uh, with the city attorney's office help, thank you, um, we uh, just had four left with four SROs that are really subject to that that ordinance now. They're not regulated, but they can't be removed without replacement units. But now we have a stock of about 50 to 60 units that can be used for those replacements. Appreciate that. And I won't use the big word that's behind all that, but I'll switch. So I, I previewed to you during the break, and mm -hmm. we uh, – we, uh, we've been starting to get a couple of these mixed income housing strategies and I uh, drove Mr. Sandlin crazy last time trying to understand this numbers in the report to convert fee credit to units built and there was some number in this one for Greenbrier we were looking at that was 70,000 something and I thought it was derived from some calculation of costs and at the time um, Mr. Sandlin told me that we were that you all were preparing uh, some guidelines for the mixed income ordinance. And of course, they're not prepared yet. But I, as I said, I did um, look on your website and I noticed that you had some guidelines for the county. And given that the county ordinance is conspicuously similar to the city ordinance, I thought I could maybe get ahead of the game. But I, 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 I found 
uh, some calculations in the county one, and it talks about um, that conversion, and it references uh, consistently references a seventy thousand three hundred dollar per unit figure, and I was hoping I pulled up the right page. Um, that sounds correct. It it well I, it 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 um. Well, I wanted to ask you how it's um, how it's derived, and I, I, I can't find the page. I thought I read the word sort of anticipated public subsidy or something like that. Correct. So, um, so the primary way to to um, finance affordable housing is to use um, mortgage revenue bonds, which basically allows you to get typically a a bank loan, but for with a lower interest rate. So these bonds plus tax credits. Um, and both of these programs are administered by um, the state of California under the treasurer's office. Um, so what we know, um, not all of the projects um, built in Sacramento County involve SHRA and our gap financing. For example, if you're building something at Elk Grove, you're likely to have some financing assistance from the city of Elk Grove. So what we do, and what we've been doing now for several years, because of the county ordinance, which was um, updated before the cities, is we, we did we were asked to find out what the average gap subsidy is after you get these uh, mortgage revenue bonds, after you get your tax credits. What is typically the gap that's looked to the local government to fill? So what we've looked um, for the, um, at is the last five years, annually look back for five years, and we go to the state and we say not just our projects, but all the projects you finance with these funding sources, what is the average gap that per unit that the local governments are filling? Um, I think last year it was like 68,000. We've gone up to 70,000, but it can go down. I mean, we just don't know. I know one of the reasons that gap is increasing for our county overall is um, we are doing more affordable units. So in other words, when we used to do more projects that were at a little higher, still low income, but a higher income. Now we're going down to extreme, more extremely low income. For You brought up um, 800K. That has, I think, three units of extremely low income housing. which and it, So those cost a little bit more to finance. Um, and that's where the gap comes from the, the city. Um, and, as, and then um, construction costs have gone up. They absolutely have. So those are really the reasons why we're seeing that gov uh, local government gap in increase to 70000 now. So it makes sense in the sense that the, the fee associated with the mixed income housing ordinance is supposed to go in that fund to fund the gap financing that allows us to re leverage the other resources through that program. So that's why the credit, if you build it instead of pay the fee, is set on the average, and and it's interesting. That it's not a differential for you know thirty percent AMIs versus sixty percent AMIs. It is what it is. But how, how how frequently is that figure updated? So we look every year annually. We look back at the previous five years. So you know every year we're adjusting. We're adding one year and subtracting another. So okay. Um, one last question, and I'll I'll yield. So, a part of our staff report contained these two reports on our housing trust fund and our mixed income housing fee fund. And I'm kind of assuming that you're all about that. One is the fund that the commercial developers pay, right. and the other is the one that the residential and the commercial developer one 
had a balance of something like six point something million with three point something committed and two point something non committed mm -hmm. and the residential one had something like five hundred thousand Mm -hmm. Do those monies ultimately go in the same pot for the same place, or do they go to different places? They ultimately go to the one pot, but we track them separately um, because each each has their independent ordinance that requires reporting separately. Okay. Makes sense? No, it makes perfect sense. Um, it's kind of what I thought, but okay. I Again, I, I really appreciate hoping this is helpful to both me and all my colleagues in understanding these uh, mixed income housing strategies that we're starting to get more of. And um, I can see my colleagues queued up and we'll probably talk a lot about market rate housing. And my only preview comment is I'll bet a lot of these things are not city of Sacramento specific, but I'll uh, circle back on that when it comes again. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner LaFosso, Commissioner Kaufman, followed by Commissioner Lucian. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. So, Marco, Greg, I, I understand this is complicated. I understand there are big economic forces at work here that make this very difficult. Sitting in front of the city council and they say 14% of what are, you know, we've, we've, we've accomplished 14% of what our eight-year goal is. We're more than halfway through that period. What should we do? Are there other jurisdictions that have produced more than 14% in that same period? If so, who are they? What did they do? Are there any jurisdictions anywhere that are doing novel things that we're not doing? What should we do? I know we're not required by law to produce these things, but I assume that we have this plan, because not just because the law requires it, but because we actually think this stuff needs to be produced. What are you going to say? I would say we've done quite a lot, more than most cities have. I'd say um, as far as comparing RENAs, some cities might be doing better of us, better than us, particularly the coastal cities where they have stronger housing markets. It's tough comparing cities across the board when you have our city, which is very unique in the valley, um, government employment. Um, so I think we've we've got the planning entitlement process pretty done pretty well, the, uh, and, and what's what's going on is it's it's forcing us to look beyond the entitlement. So once there's entitled, they're entitled. What is happening? And as Kate had, had said on June twentieth, we're going to be looking at. What is what is keeping these these projects from moving forward? Um, anecdotally, uh, I've heard a lot that financing is difficult to obtain. Um, though I'm hopeful that market rate production is going to be picking up, particularly in the in our urban areas, because for the first time now in the last couple of years, but in the first time that I can think of, we're producing market rate projects without any public subsidies. So ice blocks, the press building, 19th and J is, is being reviewed right now. We've got a lot of projects being moving forward into the building permit process. And so my hope is that as another, when a future developer goes ahead looking for financing, there's more comps, there's more projects to point to 
um, to give the investor confidence. Um, that's one of the key issues. We are also looking at we've, we've completed finance plans as well as impact fees for the River District, the 65th Street area. Um, so those finance plans and those, those fees are really helpful in creating a predictable environment for financing infrastructure. We just adopted our feeder for ordinance, which helps uh, particularly what I'm hearing is single family builders do larger batches of homes. So they don't have to front that impact fee revenue at once. They can keep the trades on site. So they're not losing, they're not having increasing construction costs by having to get everybody back on the site. That's critical apparently with the mill. They want to keep building continuously. So you have constant construction going on to save them money. Then you have the Sustainable Communities Infrastructure Program or statewide community infrastructure program, SKIP. This is something we that was adopted on April 18th. Um, this is an exciting new program potentially for, for projects that can't produce, participate in a Melarus district, but they can amortize their infrastructure costs and impact fee or in fees um, over time by paying those those off with property taxes. So you're you're taking advantage of a statewide bond mechanism to pay for those costs. So we're looking at all avenues. Um, we certainly need to continue to look and see what other cities are doing. Um, part of that April 18th workshop, the, the mayor kicked off a kind of a, a process it seems like or got the discussion going on a general obligation bond to pay for affordable housing. Um, and then looking at a, also a permanent revenue source of real estate transfer taxes and fees. So I don't know, our, our city takes growth quite seriously. We want to have it happen. We, we support affordable housing and we're looking at all the tools we can take advantage of. We also just um, did a comparative analysis of various cities like Portland, Minneapolis, Long Beach, to look at their development costs, what their median incomes are, their rents, and why are some of them producing more housing than us when our incomes are the same. So um, sounds like for medium density housing, our construction costs are actually the lowest of the five cities we looked at. And our median income is actually kind of in the middle. So what gives? Why aren't we building more? or building as much as those cities. It's hard to tell. Uh, we, we would like to see more conclusions come out of that study, but I, I think a lot of it is, again, the financing and those comps. Can you point to other info projects that are being built? We also have multifamily projects being uh, the Sheldon Apartments, which we just got a $500,000 worth of housing impact fee revenue. Um, down in the south area, we have another apartment development going on in, in South Natoma. So multifamily production is starting to really pick up. So um, I don't know if that answers is a. Well, I, I kind of understand there's not really an answer to the question. But when I see numbers like this, it's like I want to see something concrete that says, we're going to try this. We're going to look at this. We're, you know, we we have to we have to think of some new things to do. Uh, I don't know whether the city, if the city does or can, 
leverage funds under its control. I don't know whether there's anything comparable to the you know pooled money investment fund or what kind of uh, access we have to retirement funds to be able to leverage those for the benefit of, of housing. Um, I, I don't mean to suggest that that you're not that somehow this program is, is is a failure or that you're not doing everything that you can think of. We just have to, what I am saying is that there's got to be something else. Got to be something else. And I don't know what, I don't know what there is, but the things that are traditional are clearly not getting us where we need to go. So maybe it's time to think about things that are a little outside the box, but just a different cut at this. I know that a lot of what happens in the planning department is reactive to developers coming forward. Maybe there are things that we can do to jumpstart some of this. Maybe there's land we can give away. Maybe there is financing we can leverage at the city level. Maybe we can X out a bunch of uh, requirements that have costs. I mean, that's part of the motivation. The, the, the parking issues that I constantly harp on, it isn't just about uh, changing the way people travel. It's also reducing the cost of, of development mm -hmm. by the cost of parking. And I know you know that because I know that you all had a role in pushing that issue forward in the in the update of the of the development code. But it just seems like we're so far away from getting to where we want to be, despite everybody's best efforts, that we should be scouring the earth for other programs that are working somewhere and seeing how they can adapt can be adapted to Sacramento. Oh. Thank you. I I don't want you to get the wrong impression. Thank you, Commissioner Kaufman. Commissioner Lucian. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, quick question. Um, when you spoke about the median incomes and um, I, I suppose other factors being comparable to other cities. What other cities were immediately come to mind, maybe the top three or four, um, where those comparisons were conducted? So the um, Portland, Minneapolis, Nashville, Tennessee. Um, oh, okay. Those, those are completely out of state. Were there any comparables within the state? Well, we, we were looking at Long Beach, California, okay. um, but... We're, we're having a hard time getting information from developers. Long, and I should know this because from Long Beach, what's the population now? Long Beach? Yeah, roughly. You know, I, I, I do not know the okay. population of Long Beach. <laughs> um, and if we're not getting Long Beach information, we've asked them to look at Oakland. So. Okay. Um, I, I, yeah, it, I mean, I think it's great. It's great that I think everyone um, on the dais, certainly uh, city leaders, are taking 
um, a close look at this issue, um, that we're asking these questions about why um, entitlements are not translating into actual products um, entirely. I think a, a couple of things came to mind, um, and then I had a couple of questions. Um, I mean, Long Beach is part of greater Los Angeles, and there are so many more developers. There's just so much more wealth mm -hmm. there that's concentrated. Um, and so, you know, when I think about Long Beach within that context, um, it's it, it borders Orange County. It's in L.A. County. It's really a different ball game, irrespective of what the population and median incomes are um, within uh, the jurisdiction proper. I think I, I, I to pivot from that, I had a question um, for um, SHRA, if someone might um, be able to assist me with an answer. Uh, as it relates to the... Um, well, the the wind down of um, of the redevelopment agency, and uh, I'm really blanking on the term right now, but um, the remaining assets, for lack of a better way to say it, that SHRA um, has in its possession. How many properties, or how much square footage, can you quantify? Um, using some criteria, uh, what does HR, SHRA have in its possession as, uh, um, in terms of land, acreage? Or so in November uh, of last year, we brought forward a, a disposition of land strategy to city council. Um, so we can get you a copy of that, or you can just find it on the city's, the council's website, and it shows all the land that we had. We, we um, don't have that much land. Um, we broke down our land, our vacant land, so I want to make sure it's clear. We're not talking about the 3,000 public housing units we own, mm -hmm. but the vacant land. Um, there were, and this is off the top of my head, maybe six, seven, eight parcels that could be mainly single-family parcels that could be sold immediately. Those funds put back into affordable housing funds, so those listed right now. Um, there are about six larger sites that we own. And then um, some former other small, basically uh, small single-family sites, maybe a dozen of those, um, that had some requirements from HUD to uh, have restrictions removed before they could be sold. So that's off the top of my head what it is, but it's in a staff that's, report. That, that's, that, that's fine. Um, what parts of the city are those? You know, those are city and county, because we are a city county agency, so that covers the city and county. Right, right. So I mean, is just, there a specific yeah. site that you're interested in or no, area town? I site of mine. I'm just wondering, of the parcels that are within the city, um, do you have a sense of what parts of town that they're concentrated in? If there is a concentration at all. If they're scattered, then... So there's a few, uh, and I don't know the number... Uh, Half, there's a few single-family lots, and they're scattered primarily in, in Oak Park and Del Paso Heights, I think. Okay. Um, and then we own a site on Rio Linda Boulevard that's contaminated that needs to be cleaned up, which is larger. 
Um, so that's in Del Paso Heights. Uh, and then a site that uh, on Stockton Boulevard that uh, straddles both the city and county line, which used to be the San Juan Motel. Okay. Know where that was? And then um, we have a parcel on Bol um, near uh, Martin Luther King and Broadway. So that's about it. We don't own very much. All right. So that's, that's still. So you, it sounds like you're saying Oak Park, Del Paso, Stockton. They were former redevelopment areas. They're former redevelopment housing assets. So right. when redevelopment was eliminated, the non-housing properties that were acquired with redevelopment funds, and again, those were in the redevelopment areas, which Oak Park and Del Paso mm -hmm. were, um, those non-housing um, assets went to the housing successor agency, which is housed here at the city of Sacramento. Mm -hmm. But SHRA kept the housing sites. Okay, I'm the sorry, ones can I just you repeat described. that one more time? I, I, that, the housing authority, which uh -huh. is one of SHRA's entities, mm -hmm. kept the housing parcels that were purchased with redevelopment funds. All the non-housing parcels, which was the vast majority of the land, went to the Redevelopment Successor Agency. The Redevelopment Successor Agency staff is here at the city of Sacramento. Gotcha. Now, when you say non-housing parcels, meaning they the, were not purchased with redevelopment funds or? They were purchased with redevelopment funds, but they were, it's, it's commercial sites. You know, anything that was not zoned R, one, two, three. Oh, gotcha. Three. Okay. <laughs> um, with respect to, so it doesn't sound like you, it, it sounds like you're, you're alluding to SHRA having mostly single-family size parcels um, within its portfolio, uh, and then only, you know, maybe a few, a few larger ones. Um, have any actions been taken to um, put those up? for auction or sell them and, and, and has the disposition for the most part been positive? Has it been dormant? So again, it was our strategy uh, was broken into three different categories, immediate action, future action and uh, or future, and then properties that needed something to happen before anything can happen. Would that be environmental cleanup or had uh, mm -hmm. approval. So we had these three pots. The first one, we were we, the first group, and it's not that many, but those council, city council approved for us to list for sale, and we have, and um, we're getting different offers on them. And again, the sale of those properties will go back into um, an affordable housing funding pot, which again is approved by the city council for expenditures. Um, and are, are those required to be sold to the highest bidder or yes. not necessarily? Yes, fair market value. Okay. Uh, got it. Um, okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Where were you, you going to finish? That's, that's pretty much the action we've taken since November. Okay. And so the, the, the process of um, sort of transitioning those properties um, to private actors, that is going to continue until... So they're all disposed of. All disposed of. Okay. Um, thank you. I appreciate that. I think that's all the questions I, I'd had for you. Um, I think the other last question um, it was just mentioned. Um, the mayor's thing about a, a housing bond and um, a, uh, did you refer to it as a document transfer tax fee? One or the other. 
can't remember if it's a tax or a fee. I know the state's working on one, and the, now the, the city's looking at the other. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and, but there's some indication that um, municipal governments have some level of or measure of authority to um, do that independently of of um, statute. Thank you. Commissioner Lucian, I just wanted to, to help answer, I think, some of the questions that you did ask. You did ask about the population of Long Beach. I think Ms. Gillespie had some information on that and also had some more information regarding um, available uh, parcels within the city of Sacramento. Ms. Gillespie? So, Commissioner Lucian, we um, chose Long Beach because their population was very similar to that of Sacramento. Um, so, depending on where you look, it ranges from 562,000 from the 2010 census up to projected fi um, 510,000 now. Um, and then on the subject of vacant land, uh, it's something that I've been tasked to prepare a table of publicly owned land owned by the city. We also have SHRA's property in the mix um, and other public agencies. That information is being compiled to present as part of the report on um, June 20th to the city council. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Ms. Gillespie. Commissioner LaFossa. Thank, thank you, Mr. Chair. I was going to try to get in two quick questions when Ms. Weikert was up, and uh, maybe she comes up. Maybe the first one's better for Ms. Gillespie. Um, so Ms. Weicker referred to a recent SHRA report, and I just want to make sure I got the title just so I can get my search words right. <laughs> I remember the title. Um, I had vacant lot uh, disposition strategy, I believe, was maybe not in that order. Those are good. But again, so it was November of last year, for sure. So if you look at one of the council meetings from then and go into the agenda, I'm sure you can pull it off. Oh, great. Okay. The question I forgot to ask you was, back to my burning interest in the uh, implementation of our mixed income housing ordinance, does an applicant get fee credit for affordability by design? No. Okay, thank you. Um, appreciate it. Um, so I'm gonna make this comment into a question so I can do it before public comment. But my intro is, somehow Mr. Sandlin, I feel like the awful spring ritual on housing elements. Somehow staff thinks we're beating up on you. And I just have this perfect image of Tom Pace sitting in that exact chair three years ago. Um, and I hope Mr. Pace has uh, spent some time with Mr. Gonzalez so we can sort of, you know, get the vibe over the years. Somehow I, I don't feel that <laughs> we're all on the same side. And I do think that, um, I, I do think these things are a little bit bid in Sacramento. Not that that's an excuse. I do think they are a lot about financing. Um, so one's a comment that I want a response for, and one's a real question. I'll go for the real question first. So, you know, the thing that the governor alluded to this a little, well, actually the governor's budget report that he, that he, that he, um, that he released today kind of discusses this in some of his uh, financial forecasts that, you know, we have, a, we have a big problem in our state's economic expansion is potentially going to be choked short because employers are going to find they can't provide jobs because they can't find places to house the workers they want to hire. Um, 
given that financing is important, what do our what what do our city's economic development leaders, who, you know, who aren't planner types, who are business recruitment types, who who probably have a lot to say about what the average income of the potential Sacramento buyer, one who lives here today or one who might lives here tomorrow, which I I, I think the challenge we have in all this is that um, uh, I still don't know why they build stuff in Long Beach, don't build stuff in Sacramento. But what I hear is there's still this softness in what they think the, the sale price point is. We can keep trying to refine our regulations to get the cost side down, but there's still that potential revenue side on the balance sheet because no matter how you get it down, you can only charge 300x thousand for a starter home, that kind of thing. And and if it costs you know 20,000 more per home to build, you can't build it because you can't get there. But but our I know our economic development leaders have probably have a lot to say about you know what what the potential market is for home buyers in the future. Is is there a way to engage them on this? I know you're a planner. Maybe it's not a fair question. Maybe it's just a suggestion couched in the form of a question. I just want to understand the question a little bit more. That the economic development leaders we engage them to get their we keep asking input you, on, on, on how to get to that price point? Well, it's, it's ultimately there's a linkage between the, the companies they're recruiting and the workers they're seeking and the mm -hmm. housing necessary and the, matching, the match point is, uh, is what these people are going to earn and what they're going to be able to pay for. Yeah. With our cost comparison and, and just looking at our peer cities, um, not that this is going to make this, us feel any better, but none of the cities are producing market rate housing affordable to anybody above or below above market incomes, above moderate income. So it's 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 high end stuff. So um, so I, I do look at you know, we we're talking about for sale. I look at nineteenth J. Um, I'm hearing about New York, Seattle, Boston, where micro units are being built. So not for everybody, mm -hmm. but um, it is the way for the market to, to start looking at um, other sub-markets, other demographics that can rent at a moderate rent and live downtown, but perhaps not even have a car. Um, so I, I think... One of the things we can certainly do is, um, as the market is trying to correct and, and get down to those moderate income um, levels, if these products are something that the city can't recognize, doesn't know what to do, then continuously improving and adjusting our regulations um, is one thing. But I think that, that is a, something we... We should be talking to um, for people, the economic development leaders, our economic, uh, economic development department, other organizations that are trying to recruit businesses. How is the affordability of housing impacting their efforts? Because, yeah, from what I understand, that is a big factor when you're trying to recruit. Find Mr. Salen, I, I think the uh, planning director would like to add to your, your response as well. Thank you, Chair Bodipo Memba. So there have been a number of discussions underway, and there has been some research that's been taking place. And as part of the downtown specific plan, we have reached out to developers 
um, builders, designers, asking them what we can do to help prove affordability. Um, today at lunch, I went to a Greater Sacramento Economic Council meeting um, where we heard from people who have been actively promoting and, and growing the employment sectors in Austin and in Denver. And what we learned is that we're in very competitive shape with those cities. Um, the, but the issue we have here is more lack of supply, that that lack of available units and our low occupancy rate has pushed up rents to a point where they've become less and less affordable. So as, as a city, as we're looking at a variety of tools right now, we um, are looking at how we can increase the um, supply side at all levels. The thoughts are because vacancy is so low right now, people are moving to buy properties that are affordable and probably not stretching to the units that they could buy because they're not there. And this is increasing the demand at the middle. So what we're trying to do is we look at solutions to explore um, in the work that staff is doing interdepartmental right now is figuring out how we can address all sectors of the market, the affordable, the um, worker housing, and the luxury housing so that we can depress market pressures at, at all levels. That will help us be in a better position to recruit new employers. I got it. I was trying to ask a demand side question and I got a two, three quarters supply side answer. But you did say at one point um, people buying less than they might be able to afford if it was available. But the question then is, is the developer, whomever that developer is not building it because they don't believe that person's out there to buy it if they build it and you're saying they are. That's, that's the issue I was really trying to drill down on. Um, but but again, we spent a lot of time talking about supply side, and I know we like to talk about these things, about prefab housing and micro units. And, you know, I'm reminded that people are still hung up on the, the you know, the fact that we, our regulations aren't accommodating to small units, like, you know, our open space requirement is still measured on a per unit basis. You know, so we keep having to, you know, we keep having to blow a hole in that rule for J19 even though it works perfectly for Yamini because the Yamini units are 10 times the size of the, of the J19 units, so the formula works for Yamini, but it doesn't work for J19, for example. Anyway, I don't know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll take a look at that at some point. Um, I actually had another question, but I forgot what it was, so um, thank you for the indulgence. Thank you, Commissioner LaFaso. Do you have a, a, a quick follow-up? On, on some of the ideas that Commissioner Fossil brought to the table. Um, our, I know we looked at Long Beach and Portland and some other similar size cities, but did was there any comparative analysis done with other regional uh, cities in terms of their growth? Uh, you know, because again, to Commissioner Coppin's uh, point, the 14% over four years doesn't appear to be successful. You provided some context as to why you believe it is, but. How are we doing within our own region? I think we're we're doing pretty well compared to other jurisdictions, and um, particularly in regards to multifamily development. 
there's not a lot of other jurisdictions that are producing multifamily housing. So we're well beyond the, the, the regional jurisdictions in that level of production. So our 14% growth compared to, to say, Roseville, Elk Grove, uh, Ranch Cordova, is it that's consistent? Or I know we're looking at different different sizes. Or yeah, I'd, I'd have to take a look. I can get back to you on on how our kind of the arena percentage matches up with other jurisdictions. That that is a good thing to check out. And then, are we talking to you know, kind of building off of Commissioner LaFosse's questions? Are we talking to the BIA? Are we talking to other development industry experts in terms of helping gather? Some information about the trends is that information included in our analysis when you say trends what do you, what do you mean by that what, what i mean by that is, is is in your presentation you've kind of given some some market realities as to why or why not we're, we're seeing growth in certain areas i'm just wondering whether we're gathering some information from some of the, the development organizations to to justify those assumptions as part of our downtown specific plan, we had a developer advisory group. Um, so yeah, we in the city actually wasn't even there. We wanted it to, to for them to speak as candidly as possible. Um, so we have a document online, and we can share that with you. And they kind of shared with us the issues that they were having being able to develop in the in the downtown region. And that's kind of what informed that slide, the issues that we're seeing come up. And then to build off of Commissioner LaFosso's question, in that developer advisory group, are there also individuals from the employment sector that were included in that as well? No, okay. it was strictly developers. Well, attorneys and also some real estate brokers too. I think those are all my questions for, for right now. Um, are there any additional commissioner questions? Thank you very much. That'd be the opportunity for public comment. I'm going to take a risk and a gamble and assume there are no public comments. Seeing none, that'd be the opportunity for, for commissioners to provide additional comments and feedback and to make a motion on this item. Again. Mr. Heron. Uh, this is a non-action item. My apologies. So can we again limit this to feedback, Commissioner LaFosso? I just want to end on a happy note, referencing something Commissioner Kaufman said, that every time I read the East Bay Express about what a mess parking regulations are in Oakland, I sit back and go, well, we don't got that problem in Sacramento, and that's your thing, Mr. Sandler. I'll just uh, remind everybody that we're way ahead on parking. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner LaFosso. Any additional comments? Again, I'll just reiterate my comments as related to item number five, uh, and please apply those to item number six. Thank you very much, staff, for, for the presentation. Move on to item number seven. LR 17-001, review of the city 
fiscal year 2017, 22 capital improvement projects for conformity with the 2035 general plan. Before Mr. Mendoza comes up for his presentation, are there any disclosures or recusals? And so I don't get confused later, we will be passing a motion on this item. Mr. Mendoza. Chair Budipo, member, planning commissioners, Remy Mendoza, before you again. The capital improvement program known by the acronym of CIP is a five-year expenditure plan that provides the city with a financial outline for its infrastructure and facility needs. A CIP is a specific project that involves a study, procurement, construction, or installation of facilities that improve the city's provision of municipal services. CIPs have a total cost of at least $20,000 and a useful life of five years. Each year, staff brings forward the final list of new CIPs to the Planning Commission to review for consistency with the general plan and to forward a recommendation of consistency to the City Council. These CIP projects are included in the City's proposed budget. Therefore, we conduct this review during the budget season. Next week, the Budget Office will inform the Council of the Planning and Design Commission's findings as part of, the budget, of their budget review. This year, there are 21 new CIP projects. Of those 21, only six are site-specific projects, including five park maintenance or improvement CIPs and one landfill regulatory compliance project. All six of the site-specific projects are consistent with the general plan policies. The remaining 15 items are not site-specific and are considered programmatic because they serve multiple areas. These 15 programs include a mix of park upgrades and renovations, street and public right-of-way improvements, bike, pedestrian, and trail repairs, as well as a bridge and floodgate maintenance. All programmatic CIPs are also consistent with general plan policies. Based on staff review of all 21 new programs, we recommend a finding of consistency with the 2035 general plan. The staff report is laid out in three parts, including a CIP consistency analysis that includes general plan policies, a list of all of the new CIP projects for 2017 through 2022, and a map of where the site-specific CIPs are located in the city. I would like to clarify that we also track projects that are located in our Tier 1 and Tier 2 shovel-ready sites. However, these shovel-ready sites are only a guide and not a mandate for infrastructure investments. So although this year no projects are located in shovel-ready sites, they are still consistent with the goals and policies of the 2035 general plan. This concludes my overview of the new CIP projects for the 2017 to 2022 years, and I'm available to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Mendoza. Question from Commissioner LaFosso. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Beginning with a comment, thank you for that last comment, because uh, I asked it a year ago, and I let Mr. McDonald know I was going to come back a year later. Um, just for some context, so this report always confounds me, and I, I, I'm just going to make sure I understand it. So the, the powers that be, for lack of a better term, make infrastructure investment decisions. And there could be, say, for example, a thousand potential infrastructure choices that are arguably consistent with the general plan. And the individuals who undertake that planning choose, I guess, an example, 21. And our job is just to determine whether the 21 of the hypothetically thousand that they chose are consistent, not to say you should have chosen 21 others of the potential thousand 
not the ones you chose. Correct. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner LaFosso. Any additional questions? That, that was a great summary. That was perfect. That's exactly what we're looking for is your, your feedback on these budget recommendations uh, and not to offer alternative uh, spending solutions. So you nailed that one. Thank you. Thank you. Any additional questions from commissioners? Commissioner Lindsay. Um, just quick clarification for me. Um, the active transportation program, installation of facilities in the public rights of way that promote alternative transportation needs, is that bicycle or, or what does that refer to? That's on page 13. I'm sorry, could you repeat that a little louder? I uh, couldn't quite hear everything you said. So it's the active, it's under transportation, active transportation program, installation of facilities in the public rights of way that promote alternative transportation needs. Mm -hmm. Is that referring to bicycle or? or bicycle and ped improvements, correct. Okay, bicycle or walking or, okay. Yes, uh, alternative from auto, the automotive transportation. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Lindsay. Additional commissioner questions? Seeing none, um, we have no public comments. So we have the opportunity now for commissioner comments and or motions. Commissioner Lucian followed by Commissioner LaFosso. I'd like to make a motion to uh, approve uh, this report and would like to uh, uh, let the staff know I think it think it looks good. I see a lot of uh, see a lot of money uh, coming to my area, so amen. <laughs> so we have a motion to move uh, and forward recommendation to city council. Commissioner LaFosso. Second. We have a second from Commissioner LaFosso. Any additional comments? Any none? Can we please vote? Commissioner Farrell. Aye. LaFasso. Aye. Lucian? Aye. Kaufman? Aye. Lindsay? Aye. Ogilvy? Aye. Fleckabom? Aye. Rogers? Aye. Wong Conley? Aye. Yee? Aye. Vice Chair Burke? Aye. And Chair Buripo Memba? Aye. That is unanimous. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, moving on. Public comments. Matters not on the agenda. I see no one from the public here. But now the opportunity for member comments. Vice Chair Burke? Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thanks to the staff for the reports tonight and the items we covered. You know, I just want to mention, you know, we talk a lot about housing and the arena numbers, but a lot of polling from the Bay Area says that the residents there are upset. Almost 40% want to leave soon. 83% say traffic is at a, a bad situation. So Sacramento is probably that target location for a lot of Bay Area folks. So as we, you know, we talked today about planning for the future, uh, I don't know if that was incorporated in some of the arena numbers, but I'm sure... Um, the planning and work we're doing today will help or impact those folks that are going to come here from the Bay Area. Thank you, Vice Chair Burke. Official member comments? 
I have a brief comment. I just want to say uh, thank you very much to Vice Chair Burke for chairing last uh, hearing on my behalf. And uh, I, too, also attended a, a land use conference this last week in Seattle where some of the uh, statistical numbers that Vice Chair Burke referenced are not just about uh, the Bay Area but other markets on the West Coast where the housing prices are rising at a fairly exponential level where Sacramento is becoming a better market. But also speaking to the points that Commissioner LaFossa mentioned, uh, our ability or the ability of this city to provide the, the job opportunities and the job development and construction opportunities in the urban core will be key for us to be able to compete. Uh, and I believe that we'll have some exciting opportunities at this dais to help us plan for that growth. Initial member comments. Seeing none, this meeting is adjourned. Thank you.